Whenever the devil harasses you thus, seek the company of men, or drink more, or joke and talk nonsense, or do some other merry thing. Sometimes we must drink more, sport, recreate ourselves, I, and even sin a little to spite the devil, so that we leave him no place for troubling our consciences with trifles. We are conquered if we try too conscientiously not to sin at all. So when the devil says to you, do not drink, answer him, I will drink and write freely just because you tell me not to. Martin Luther. Intersection income. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions, weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer, and this week football. <laughs> I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it going? <laughs> um, it's going great. It's going great if if you're not a Jacksonville fan. It's going great if you're not a FSU guy, uh, <laughs> which neither of us are. But I do want to say that I am greatly disappointed with the CFP over the weekend. I, they said, and the way that they defended it was they said we wanted the best four teams in the finals for the playoff, and. And I'm sorry, but I think a huge injustice has been done to uh, to Florida State. I don't necessarily – now here's the thing is maybe I don't disagree with the CFP saying that they're not one of the top four teams in the nation. Okay. But they're undefeated and they don't have a chance to n- – to say that they're not like that's the hard part with the whole, the whole thing. Where I what I texted you earlier when I said Texas and Alabama both have a loss. Texas beat Alabama, so therefore Texas should be there over Alabama. Correct. But now, and what says that? And so my thing is. Florida State no doesn't get to have the opportunity. Now, I get the whole TCU debate. But TCU, you can't – I don't think that you can equate no, the, the T- two. No, the TCU debate goes in favor of Florida State. TCU was a two-touchdown underdog to Michigan and went out there and beat them and got into the national championship. So, actually, TCU is justification for Florida State getting in because – you don't know what they're going to do when the games are actually played. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, okay, this is a team that believes that they're one of the best in the nation because they've gone undefeated all year long in one of – I'm not saying it's the best college football league, but I'm saying that it, it's it's top four, top five. It's college football leagues, and you are now sitting there. It's not, it's not like we're sitting there and saying that that entire league is a joke. No. And no one's arguing Liberty, who's undefeated, should go in either. But here's here's my problem. Uh, the language everyone's using is very slippery and, fa- and facile to whatever side they want to argue. So you'll hear a lot of people saying it's 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 not the most deserving team; it's the best team. Well, those things are pretty much the same thing. I and mean, it's the best right now team. 
well, is that's... one of the key things that they've said the entire time, right? Because that's the whole thing about FSU is it's the quarterback issue. That was like one of the things that they tried to hide behind where they were like, oh. Yeah, you know what? And Alabama's a better team now than they were I invite, at the start of the season. I invite the Florida State defense to go and defile all the houses for the members of the CFP committee because that it's so detrimental to this team, particularly the defense. So they, they beat... They won two games without a, their starting quarterback. They beat a Florida team who's not great, but it's an SEC team. They're talented. They beat them with the backup quarterback. Then they play in the ACC championship. And if you guys are listening to this and you know anything about college football, just fast forward. I'm not going to give you a bunch of background of the controversy we're talking about. But it's Colton and I want to talk, r- rant a few minutes. Um, then they beat a Louisville team who's ranked in the top 15, and is averaging 33 points a game. They face, they hold them to no touchdowns. All right, and now's now it's time for what the X. What, what the X? Oh, what the X? I forgot. What the X? So one of these I read to you, and we already discussed it. The other one you haven't heard yet. Uh, and it's kind of like last week. One's a dumbass one, and one's probably one you didn't agree we didn't with. Get, we didn't get a comment from the last week's uh, reply. Let me, uh, let me see. <laughs> nope. Oh, that's good. Ruffle any feathers. <laughs> uh, this is from. That nah, doesn't matter who it's from. Um, this guy says Calvinists. So Calvinists say once saved, always saved. That's correct. If you listen to our Calvinist or episode where we broke down Calvinism and all that stuff, Calvinists believe once saved, always saved. So once you truly accept jesus in your life that's it there's no one doing it calvinists also think people who deconstruct their faith are going to hell so <laughs> so <laughs> your your response you the response you gave me and that we posted was calvinists you're either with it. You're you're either for us or you're against us. <laughs> that was great, George W. So that yes, that is a strange <laughs> contradiction. Once saved, always saved. But if you just deconstruct your faith, you're you're not a true believer and you're going to hell. So all right. Uh, Did we get any traction from that? <laughs> uh, here's number two. This is from. Uh, this is better. Read through Paul's letters. No, actually, well, this is a guy quoting somebody else. So this is this guy's quoting somebody, D.A. Carson and John Woodbridge letters along the way. And they say, read through Paul's letters and observe that it was his relationship with Christians that gave him the greatest pain. Should you end up in vocational ministry, your, exper- your experience will not be any different. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sad but true. Sad Peter but true. Peter claimed that he was a Jew the entire time. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
yeah, I mean, you don't even have to read Paul's letters. You could read Jesus's teachings. You could read. Oh yeah. Like, you can read about Peter's experience in Acts and really learn that the people that are supposedly following the word is, are doing dumb things all the time. And actually, the the moral of that story is that we are human, uh, and that humans inherit this earth and. And everybody makes mistakes. And as much as you want to sit there and pound the wall, and I mean, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a truth to this. And and I know that we like to idolize Paul and and Peter and and put them on their pedestals. Although Paul, we don't necessarily put on a pedestal as much. We we often forget about him massacring uh, the early Christians. Um. But it wasn't like after he found Jesus, Paul became a perfect person. Or even after Jesus had this whole, uh, had this whole literally coming to Jesus moment with Peter, that all of a sudden Peter becomes a perfect person. I still think that both of those guys still continue to make mistakes and continue to grow and to develop. It wasn't like all of a sudden they were saints and that they were perfect i know that that may be a little shattering for some of you and i know that we talked about that we don't like to read into scripture and all that kind of stuff but i still have to assume that at the end of the day both of those guys were human um because that's the truth of the situation i don't think that all of a sudden they became jesus reincarnate on this planet um and so i think that they still continue to make mistakes but but they still continue to grow and to develop and try to push for the mission and vision that jesus christ had laid out for them and so um when we sit there and we look at at how tough it is to work with christians also understand and when you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself man these people are hard to work with also know that you in some aspects are also hard to work with <laughs> you know uh don't sit there and think that we're perfect you know uh, it's that it's that good old plank in our eye versus the speckle of dust. Um, so I think that that there's good in it. And again, don't think that working with Christians is going to be sunshine and roses because it's not either. That's for sure. All right, one last thing. I'm not going to read the post. It's just it apparently Twitter exposes you to things you just you actually you i would it, i would have said you mean x exposes you to things no it's still twitter but yeah <laughs> x uh i just would have said that's a conspiracy theory <laughs> hey elon musk so uh, there's some dude named pastor greg Locke. Who, john Locke. <laughs> not a pastor <laughs> and not a christian uh there's a Pastor Greg Locke, I, I don't know who he is. A lot of people on X seem to know. And another pastor named Dean Odell. I kid you not, these gentlemen showed up at Locke's megachurch. Dean Yodels. Odell, A-O-D-L-E. Showed up at Locke's church. I think, oh no, I know who this Locke guy is. This guy's a, oh... I have something. This is a, okay. Never mind. Well, you know, it's good to know these people exist um, amongst your community. People listening, Locke and Dean have a—I kid you not—a four-hour debate on whether or not the Earth is flat at a church. 
Wow. And I believe, I think if my my memory's now been jogged, I think Locke is a guy, we have to talk about this sometime, although I'm loath to do it because I don't want this podcast to turn into what, what I see a lot, which is Christians or non former Christians making fun of crazy Christians. But there's a, you can, I, if this is the guy, I think it is, he stands up in front of his church and says, there's three witches, there's a bunch of witches in his church, and he's all confronted them, and he's kicking them out, and if they want to complain about it, basically, yeah, he has a, a quick mini writ, uh, uh, witch trial right in the middle of church service in front of everybody. That's the best way to do it. You can get it out in the open. Yeah. So anyway, kooky talk. Um no, that's not kooky talk. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pure hard truth. Uh, oh, boy. Boy, there's a lot of flatter stuff on here. Damn. Okay. Well, God told them they were witches, so therefore you can't. <laughs> I was like, that guy's more in touch with what God said. Oh, they didn't float, here. so. <laughs> yeah, well, did they weigh as much as a duck? Because, I mean. <laughs> did they weigh as much as a duck? <laughs> All right. Why do why do witches burn? Because they're made of wood. Good. <laughs> what else? Floats? That's called logic. <laughs> <laughs> that is pure sound logic right there. <coughs> oh, ye holy hand grenade. To count to the count of three. All right, so main no topic. No more, no less. No more, no less. <laughs> that shall not. No more, no less. That shall not count to three. Four, four not the count of two. <laughs> but on the count of three, and exactly three, thou shalt throw the holy hand grenade. Saith the Lord. <laughs> Fall, and you shall be no more. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Is it the? Uh, isn't the uh, father? Uh, Father Timothy or something or something like that. Oh dear. Phenomenal movie. Okay, so you want to talk about uh, your topic? Yeah. So I mean, we can say that this is a hot topic. We're a little, we're a couple weeks behind. Um, but actually, this is not. What's crazy is that this is not the first article that has come across um, our uh, table. As far as what CNN has put out um, regarding Christianity and its growth, and and I think Tim and I we've talked about it before, where we've said, you know, Christianity is, we feel like there is almost like this pendulum swing that we are on the backswing of. Uh, we're sitting there and we feel like, ah, oh, why is the church not growing? Blah 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 blah. blah. And we said, no, nah, it's it's coming. There's a change that's coming in the church. And so CNN posted this article back in on in November thirteenth or on November thirteenth, um, and it was an op piece. So I'm not sitting here saying that this is pure facts, um, but the headline was: "There's another Christian movement that's changing our politics. It has nothing to do with whiteness or nationalism, which is huge, actually, um, because 
uh, for the longest time, Christianity is often, uh, and especially the the social gospel movement, which this really focuses on, is that the social gospel movement is really about you know this kind of white agenda that's being pushed or whatever, this white savior complex. <coughs> Um, and again, that's where the nationalism and the whiteness comes from. Uh, but what they're saying is, is that it's completely different. This is actually something where the social gospel movement, again, here I'll read a bit, where it says it was a Christian movement that emerged in the late 19th century America as a response to the obscene levels of inequality in a rapidly industrializing country. Its adherents took on the exploitation of workers and unethical business practices of robber barons like oil magnate John D. Rockefeller, who, want, who when once asked by a reporter how much money he needed to finally have enough, purport, uh, purportedly said just a bit more. The social gospel turned religion into a weapon for economic and political reform. Its message, saving people from slums, was just as important as saving them from hell at its peak. The movement's leaders supported campaigns for eight-hour workdays, the breaking up of corporate monopolies, and the abolition of child labor. They spoke from pulpits, lectured across the country, and wrote best-selling books. The popular trend of people wearing the WWJD bracelets, for example, didn't start off as Christian merchandising. It was the slogan of a popular 1897 novel, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do?, written by the Reverend Charles Sheldon, a social gospel leader. Fane's uh, sermonette underscores a trend that has largely gone unnoticed. The social gospel movement is making a comeback. Some may argue it never left. When it comes to religion, stories about white Christian nationalism command most of the media's attention today, which do you disagree? Yeah, I also disagree with... I think the white national nationalism thing is overwrought. I, I, but do you disagree with the fact that it consumes most of the media's attention oh hell yes oh okay that's because that's what it's saying is that it commands most of the media's Correct. attention today but a collection of american intellectual and religious leaders are showing that there's another type of christianity that's also shaping our politics and it has nothing to do with whiteness or nationalism these leaders include and it gives a couple of leaders i'm not going to say i'm just for political purposes where we don't necessarily need to get there but the most famous follower of the social gospel is the reverend martin luther king who was assassinated while helping lead a labor strike of sanitation workers all the above leaders are carrying on the torch of the social gospel in one way or another they are using the bible as social gospel leaders once did to argue in various ways that christian deeds are more important than creeds and that unfettered capitalism thrives on selfish impulses that christian teaching condemns it might sound like hyperbole to say that this resurgent form of the social gospel is changing our politics but its proponents have helped reshape many american perspectives more Americans now believe that big tech monopolies are a growing threat to prosperity, more support a dramatic raise in the federal minimum wage, and more believe that government should help these least able to help themselves. Whether it's young people struggling with staggering student loans or the government sending money directly to families and small businesses impacted by the COVID pandemic, all these shifts in attitudes and policy reflect in part the influence of the social gospel. And then there's a couple more um but that's the main overview at the point so what do you think uh i can go i i i can and we'll go several ways on this on the on the articles i'll, I'll deal with the article first like beef with the article and then and then and then just deal with the the point overall 
Um, one, I as as I already said, I, I I don't I don't like Christianity being broken down in such a binary way of it's white Christian nationalism on one side that's growing when I don't even think that it is, um, and then the social gospel network on uh, social gospel movement on the other side. Two, I think it's selective. I would argue that it's it's a fair argument to be made that sincere believing Christians who believe, who are not who are against abortion can just as much argue that they are a social gospel movement as anybody else is because they're protecting what they think is um, human life and so if you're so allow those people to make that argument you can we can have the argument over whether or not they're human life or not but then i think i think it's better to frame it that way because then you're not demonizing uh pro-life people as people who hate women and all this other nonsense that we've done to demonize pro-lifers and instead arguing with them on the merits just as which the i think this person writing the article would would be uh would find it abhorrent if one said, well, these are just a bunch of uh, socialists who want uh, free handouts because they don't like the way corporations work and it's it's un-American to complain about uh, profits. Both are gross mis... Both, both are, are both mischaracterizations mischaracterizations of what these people believe in, so I don't... I disagree. So I don't like the framing of the article, but... That's aside, just just to point out, because I often you can tell where the agenda is. But that said, I agree that this is where the church needs to lean itself into. Uh, as with the caveat that it's done where the church is trying to win hearts and minds. And it's not trying to do, which I disagree with the abortion, with the pro-life movement. It's not trying to do it with the legislation and the threat of the government behind it. I think, yes, those movements that they referenced in the 18th, late 18th century, uh, 19th century, early 20th century, ultimately led to legislation we had the work out uh, you know factory conditions uh children uh the child labor laws uh actually prohibition came out of <laughs> prohibition came out of the the gospel christian gospel movement in a lot of ways so um i'm i'm not saying that it shouldn't necessarily lead to legislation but if the pro-life movement has learned anything, and I think what we need to learn moving forward, those of us who want to be part of the Christian gospel, the, the gospel, what is it, Christian gospel? The social gospel. Social gospel movement is you need to win a very healthy percentage of the population, hearts and minds, in order to do it. Because otherwise you're just creating more problems than what you're trying to solve. And so that means going around and giving speeches and giving speeches. I want to be clear. I'm not criticizing the union for doing for intermixing because the union, yes, there's a mix between private and public. But 
the UAW is essentially, you know, it's a it's a private union with private corporations. Um, so I, you know, there's a lot of things. I, I I agree with what the article talks about. I think I think we. I am someone who believes in free markets. I love Adam Smith. I really admire Milton Friedman. And yet I believe we are in a hyper-capitalist economy that overly it seeks that, that seeks profits over everything and does not sit back to look at what is good but for not only the workers that are working for you, but frankly, what's good for America in trying to have more a more cohesive, uh, less turbulent population. We need to look towards maybe less profits and paying people better. Uh, particularly at these corporations where, you know, executives are getting paid huge, huge bonuses, even in years where they don't really make a profit or, you know, so I'm all for this. I think this is what it needs. I think what this is what we need to do. It can't just be about people showing up at, at church on Sunday and hearing how, you know, this is how to be a better parent and all the other kind of stuff. I think it's good for Christians to get behind things in ways that will make the country better again without use if if anything if if you're someone who is a conservative politically or a libertarian that you then you need to actually lean into this movement because this is how we change hearts and minds without having actually you know be concerned about who the next president is or if we've got enough judges on the supreme court and all that kind of stuff um, and again, at the end of the day, if you have all those things in government and you pass all the laws you want, but your position is 55% or 50% or 45%, but you're just doing it with the force of the government behind you, you're not really doing what's achieved, which is changing hearts and minds. Uh, so that's, those are my thoughts. Okay, so I have so I'm gonna go somewhere with this, but I just want you to participate in this exercise just because um, you're the person that I'm talking to in this situation, and I think I know how you would respond to these questions, but you may surprise me. Okay, so um, okay, so you say that you believe in a free market system. You do recognize that there are some things that are getting out of control. Blah blah blah. Um, that. Uh, we can't just sit there and say that hyper-capitalism isn't a thing and that, you know, there are possible um, issues that are going, that are coming from this. I mean, we have the World Climate Summit that's going on, whether you believe in that or not. Um, you know, these are, these are things that are being talked about on a regular basis, and so you can't avoid them. Um, and we've talked about before on this show where, you know, um, we don't, we don't necessarily want you to view our political side, and actually, I don't necessarily think that this is going to show uh, Tim's political side when I ask these questions. But I think that th that <clears throat> when we get into the social gospel, when I when I I'll connect this to the social gospel in a minute. But okay, so Tim, uh, first off, what I want to ask you is if Prop Eight were to go into uh, so Prop Eight in California was uh, the homosexual um, law. Um, where it was, is it legal for uh, 
homosexuals to get married in the state of California. If Prop 8 was a law next year in the 2024 election, would you vote yes, legalizing uh, homosexual marriage? I'm not asking what you voted for in 2008. I'm asking what you would vote for in 2024. Would you vote yes? Would you vote no on whether or not yes being... Today, I'd vote no. So yes would be yes would be they were able to get married. Oh yes, I'd vote yes. Okay. All right. So we have so he would say yes, um, and then why? Because the <laughs> because as because Paul states in one of his letters, why do you judge the non-believer for things they don't believe in? And it, it's clear that the a, a large enough percentage of the population, if not a majority of the popula- population, does not hold homosexuality in the same way it, we used to. And so I'm not going to legislate. First of all, I'm not even sure what I believe anymore about homosexuality. There's a, I would say if I had, a gun was put to my head, I'd say I'm against it. But I would also say part of that is I don't know if that's me holding on to the worldview that I grew up with and not willing to rethink very recent relooks at scripture and 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 me saying yeah I'm just not I'm not willing to get I don't want the world changing everything just because just to be cool and hip and be quote unquote tolerant so that's where I'm at I'm you know if I have no problem having gay friends if i got invited to a gay wedding i'd go etc etc i i I would be fully involved with a gay couple if i knew them so but i if they push me on it i'd say i think if you put if you're telling me i think it's wrong but what do i know and ultimately you're answering to god so my opinion doesn't really matter so that's where i'm at now and so and and again i don't i'm not going to legislate something that I don't think that I think I'm pushing onto the population because the Bible says so. I think one, it's bad for society. It causes animosity towards Christians. It's not good to convince people what your position is. Um, I just, and I just don't. Homosexuality is not some core thing to society like theft and murder and you know assault and those kind of things i just i don't think it is it's a it's a it's a social mores uh maybe and it's it's somewhere between a uh crime against god and uh sexual mores and either way i don't think the government should be that too involved in it so i would so that's a long-winded way of saying i don't know if it's right or wrong i think it's probably wrong but i'm not going to tell my fellow californians that they can't do it when it seems like a lot of my fellow Californians are fine with it. Okay. All right, second question. Abortion. If it's a law that comes across your plate, you sit there and you, uh, yes, voting that you legalize it, no voting that you don't legalize it within the state of California. What do you vote for? I'm not voting. <laughs> you mean I'm like governor or I'm I'm voting it's I'm voting I go to the ballot, ballot box and vote. Ballot box that's what we the majority of us are most of it, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think I, anybody who's going to be the future governor of California is going to be listening to our podcast. I think what is it that 
I, I mean, be real about it. Say your answer. No, I well, it's because I, I my answer is similar to the. Uh, it honestly depends on what the. Uh, is it like a total ban? Is it like a ban at six weeks? Is it a ban at fifteen weeks? What's what does it look like? I don't know where I'm at today that I'm that I'm comfortable again. It, yes, killing innocent babies is different than um, whether or not homosexuality and gay marriage is correct. But I, for the same reasons, I don't the 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 pro life movement has not won the argument, and I'm uncomfortable. I'm. At some point, you have to leave people to their... You have to let people... I, I don't know. But... Does it matter in the context of what you had just said about the homosexuality agenda where you said that it... Like, again, I... Well, again, one's, one's a, an ability for two adults to do something and one one's taking away the life of... Uh, snuffing out the life... What I think is snuffing out the life of... 100%. An innocent before it gets started, and you can say, "Well, then it should be an easy answer." To which I say, "Yes," but I, you know, I bristle at people who call abortion murder. I don't. It's not murder. It's you, if if you're going to call it a name, it's. It, I think it's more akin to a manslaughter. But okay, so then should anybody... I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> should anybody? That I don't like this it? game anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, but it, okay, let's say that okay, let's say six, let's say six months, to which that six months. What what's your take on it? Baby has a heartbeat. You know it's gender. Uh, six months is too too late. Okay, that's fine. Six I, from everything I've read, six weeks is too soon because pretty much these days a lot of people are finding out they're pregnant at six weeks. So if you ban it at six weeks, you're technically, you're basically banning abortion. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't give a shit, you're probably a gun owner and you don't like it when the government pulls those same kind of shenanigans on your gun ownership. So you're, you're having it both ways, quite frankly. And you don't get to be principled on things you do like and principled on, on things you don't like. You're either principled about it or you're not. So if you don't like the government playing clever shenanigan games, banning things that are rights, then don't play the game one way or another. So um, if I was going to do like a, if I was going to be OK with a ban, it's certainly not 15. It's probably or six months It's probably more like 15 weeks or 12 or 10 or something like that. But. Yeah, I. Fine. Are you ready to move on to the next question? Sure. Please. Although I don't know if it's going to be any better. <laughs> I think it'll be a little bit easier. I think abortion is a really tough one, especially right now. I think that's a really hot topic. I think this next one's a really hot topic too, but I think that this one's a little bit more easier to answer, just like I feel like the homosexual one is a little bit more easy to answer in our in today's current context. I think in 2008, that question was extremely difficult to answer. I'd, I'd put that up there with the abortion question. Um, 
because now it is significantly more socially acceptable for homosexuals to be who oh homos- homosexuality went went from being taboo to not to like we went from it being taboo to now it's like celebrated in a lot of circles and then just as everyone was getting used to that it's like all right now we're gonna get them married and like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute we were just we just dealt with like letting them out of the closet now you're wanting them to get married it's like and I think that's part of the homo- the movement within homosexuality that kind of messed things up is they they needed to just understand slow down this thing's fundamental change where yes Romans and Greeks were practicing homo- homo- homosexuality but it's pretty much been understood as a taboo that you either you know you either did behind closed doors and no one talked about it or it was just outright seen as disgusting for pretty much all of humanity and then all of a sudden you're like no now we're going to make it not taboo and we're also going to make sure you get us married and and so and you and we don't want we don't need your acceptance we want tolerance we just want you to tolerate us and then it's all right we tolerate you now no you don't love us and so you're all a bunch of mean monsters like no i i look i tolerate you i don't think it's right but I have no, I don't have a I you know you're not my enemy. I can work with you at work, or we can have a beer. But, um. So anyway, so next one. Next one. Illegal immigrants in the state of California. <laughs> okay, this one's tough. This, all right, this one's not any easier, and so. Because I don't take, I don't think the Bible's a good. I don't, I don't think the Bible's a good tool for this topic. I just you don't. don't? No, I don't. Oh, I think it's a great tool. I for don't because the Bible's written in a time where we don't have nation states that exists like exists like this. You don't have nation states that hand out freebies the way the, the way modern government does. You don't have education problems. You don't have. You, there are all kinds of problems. There are all kinds of issues that illegal immigration deals with that don't have anything to do with just these people are poor and they need a place to stay. There's There are social problems that come with introduce, importing a lot of people into the country that don't share your culture and don't share your language and are also using government money that they might or might not be paying taxes for, but other people who are citizens of. The other thing is, what does citizenship mean if people can just come in and start going to school and all that kind of stuff? It opens up a whole can of worms that I don't think the Bible's very well equipped to deal with, other than informing Christians on how to speak about it. And I think a lot of Christians, like a lot of issues that I talk about where I might agree with them politically, they are shitty people on how they talk about it. I think the Roman world was actually extremely prepared for a lot of these topics, actually. As far as education goes, they said that you had to be a citizen for three generations in order to partake in their educational system. They said that uh, they were multiple diverse states with multiple different languages and across different spanses of the European world. And to where I'm like, I don't know. I think that the Roman, I think that the Bible is talking about a very distinct part of the, uh, and the Jewish culture is a very small minority of that. But I think that there's a reality of what Paul experienced in his ministry and as far as what Jesus experienced in his ministry that we've talked about a little bit on this show. And even what, 
um, even Moses experience, Joseph experience, David experience, where you are dealing with at war states. Um, and we don't have that necessarily, we don't have that kind of hostile environment that we're necessarily dealing with. Like Mexico is not coming to war against us. And we're sitting there and letting these people into our country as like refugees in some aspects. They are sort of refugees if you really like, and I don't think that we ever like give them enough credit for that. Like, I, and I'm not that most Mexicans or most people that come from the Mexican border. And again, hopefully when you're listening to this podcast, you're in understanding that, that the United States does not have a Canadian immigration problem, illegal immigration problem. Like, well, we don't really have a Mexican immigration. Problem I was like, either. not most people coming over right now are Mexican. They're either from central or South America or somewhere else around the world. The Me- we pretty much tapped the Mexicans of their, whoever wants to come over. So, yeah, and listen, I'm not, and please don't think that what I was saying is making light of the the extremely complex political nature of our world nowadays. But I am saying that there are certain things that were considered uh, back then, and I think that some of their problems were also just as annoying and frustrating. I mean, I was like... Rome was just crawling with homeless people from that were refugees from all over the world. Just uh, I know, but they weren't taking care of them. That, that's my point. Mm. Rome had an education system, but Rome didn't require children, uh, parents to send their kids to the education system. And if they didn't, they would confiscate the children. You didn't have classrooms where... Slaves. You, <laughs> you didn't have classrooms where 12 languages might be spoken. They didn't provide money to those children when they were born here even though the sit- the parents weren't citizens those are the kind of things Touché. Touché. look if you're asking me what i think a christian should do here's i, I think i think personally i'm not asking what I, I think a christian should do i'm asking how you would vote on it if i would vote on it and i would I, and what i think the church, what christians in the church should do I'm, I'm being serious. No, I know. I because I, I, I look. I I think we've allowed we've we have allowed so many illegal immigrants in. It's cause it's causing problems. People don't like change. They really don't like a lot of change. And so in a lot of communities where you have a lot of new people coming in, and in some communities, people who used to find jobs aren't finding those jobs, or they're going to somebody who's just moved here causes problems. I don't like it. It's a uh, base human nature but it is based human nature and when you're a secular government you need to think about those kinds of kinds of things so my opinion is you one way or another once they are here you are open to being caring and welcoming to uh illegal immigrants i don't think it's a christian position to be and it's much like the homeless i don't like the homeless i don't wish there weren't any homeless but if I got a homeless person, I'm going to be, I'm going to treat them the way Jesus would. But you're not saying open the floodgates, like just like. Open I'm saying if like if I had to vote, I'd vote close down the border for a couple years until we deal with what we have and integrate them in, while at the same time loving and being uh, generous to the ones who are here. And if I am wrong and I get voted down and we continue to let. A bunch of people in, or we vote to. We're going to allow two hundred thousand every year. Fine, that is the way it's going to be. Once they're here, I can have a. We need to allow ourselves to have a contradictory position where I, on the one hand, I don't like this thing and I'm against it, 
but Jesus calls me to do the things that I don't want, that I don't like to do. And so, do I want there to be a whole bunch of illegal immigration? No, I think it's bad for society at this point when we're again with all the things we we have trillion dollar deficits and all these issues. We're we're very open that the uh, digital economy is going to replace jobs, and now we're going to bring on artificial intelligence, and that's supposed to destroy another 20, 20 million jobs. And at the same time, we're importing all of this low-wage... I don't think from a secular perspective that's a smart way to run a government. But that doesn't mean that I get to treat someone like a piece of shit once they get here and be like, well, you're just a dirty, illegal immigrant, and you need to go back where you, where you came from. They're here... This is my, my this is my responsibility to step outside of myself and do what Jesus calls me to do and not follow what I think not just like base politics but just all right I have to put aside yes I live in a secular world I have to put that aside and what what I have to do right now is treat this person as if they're literally no differently than I am because they are whether they come from Africa or somewhere else, or Central America, or there's some dirty Russian who's come over here. Um, doesn't matter. They're now here. Treat them like Jesus would. And so then... So I'm going to push back a little bit on you. That's fine. And I think that... I think it's great we're having this conversation, because so many places it's like... You haven't called me a, a xenophobe or a, a racist because I believe in closing down the borders for a couple of years, which is really what the, all the conversation is. Well, you're just a xenophobe. No, no, I'm actually open for immigration. We've just had like 25 million people come in over the last 20 years. That's a lot of people to come into a country. We need some time to integrate them so they can prosper Learn langu the language, learn the culture. That does. And here's another thing that pisses me off. Just why I'm at it. Culture is not kind of what fucking food you eat and what kind of music <laughs> you listen to and clothes you wear. That is not culture. That is an aspect. It is a shallow aspect of culture. But so many people think of multiculturalism as we have 20 kinds of different food to eat in downtown fucking Chicago. That is not multiculturalism. That is different kinds of foods. Just because someone. You know a Mexican eats a taco. That doesn't mean you know what it means to what a Mexican culture is. So we need to stop minimizing what culture is. It's much, much bigger, deeper, and in, 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 in complicated than what we've made it out to be. No, I celebrate Cinco de Mayo every year. <laughs> I basically know Mexican culture. Um. So I want to push back a little bit on the on the let me stop swearing too swear i've sworn too much on this episode that's what you say but i swear every fucking time so <laughs> uh although i do think that there's something to be said it, so what you're saying is okay so imagine the united states is a house it's your house everybody that's listening to this it's your house and you got five bedrooms in your house you got one for you and your wife. You got one for your daughter. You have one for your son. And then you have two extra bedrooms. 
And you see this homeless guy on the street and you go and you take him in and you say, hey, I've got an extra bedroom in my house. And so you go and you put him in your bedroom. And then you see this other guy on the street and you say, or this other lady on the street and you say, hey, I've got an extra bedroom in my house. And so you come and you take this lady into your house. And then you sit and you go across the street and you see another person and they say, hey, I need a place to stay. And you say, okay, well, you know, let, let me see if I can work a few things out. And so you go and you take your son and you move him into your daughter's room and you sit there and you say, okay, here. Um, and so you give this person the third room in your house. And then uh, another person comes up on the street and says, hey, I need a place to stay. And so you're like, and you really think about it, but you know that this is what Jesus has called you to do and so you take the you take your son and your daughter and you go and you put them in the room with your mother and or with you and your wife and then you put them in there and you give these people your home as well and you continue to let people more and more people into your home and they take up your living room they take up your kitchen they take up your your bathrooms your whatever and eventually your property is completely overrun and what you're saying is that we need to stop letting people in. We got to close the doors. We got to deal with the people that are in here, restore them and be able to allow them to not necessarily leave, but become prosperous on their own to where they become a part of the neighborhood. It's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. They're no longer this homeless or this, or this. Yeah. And they're also situation. not, you know, it's alleviating like, whatever tensions are with the people who own the house or whatever. Yeah, and so well, we deal with the people that are here, and now just so we're clear, nobody, a majority of the people in the United States are not as so welcoming as you just sitting there saying, come on into my house. Correct. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt here and say, oh yeah, this is what's going on. Now, Something that I believe that hopefully, and I don't think that this is an immediate situation, and I don't ever, I, I don't know if this will ever happen, ever. But I do believe that Jesus' mission and his vision for the world is a place without borders and a place without countries and states. Where you sit there and you say, I'm an American because I'm from here, and... I follow this X amount of laws, and really what you're doing is actually, at the end of the day, you're following whatever Jesus Christ has called you to do, and that's what everybody... And when we say that that's what his vision is for the world, and when he comes back and he reigns over the area, that's what we're saying is happening to where it's no longer this area of... I was like, your your American nationalism or your, your sense of of whatever it is that your country is trying to do, it's really not going to mean anything at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I agree with that. I know, I, I know you would. <coughs> and so where, again, I think that where you've talked about in the past two, and even here you talked a little bit about, you know, what is it that the Bible calls it for us to do? What is our kind of reaction? I still hope that at the base of it, that every single person sits there and recognizes that it doesn't matter where the hell you come from. You're still a part of the world that Jesus Christ has given to us, and therefore you should be unconditionally loved no matter what, despite your circumstances or whatever. Now, that being said, we do, and we've talked about it on the show, we do have to recognize that we live in a secular world, and so therefore we have to play by the rules that this secular world has given us. And those are the laws and systems that have been put in place, whether they've been, whether they've been presented to us on a Christian ethical model or not. We still have to, like, I still have to respect whatever the Middle East puts as laws and as rules, especially when I enter their country, and I expect them to treat me just as well as their laws and their and their ethical system ordains. Right. 
I can't sit there and expect my world to be all of a sudden in like apply to me in their world. And so we have to recognize that it's the same thing here. We that's where a lot of it talks about that you know this is this is a realm that is not ran by God, and in a lot of ways it's not. No matter how many times people say that you know this is God's country, if it was God's country, then you'd let anybody in, right? <laughs> you know, well, you'd let everybody in, and there would be no welfare because God expects you to work. Hundred percent. Like <laughs> I'm not sitting there like, and you said like you know we don't care. Now, that being said, other people would care for you. Sure. And we'd help you. And again, that's where we talked about, you know, the J.D. Rockefeller and that kind of situation. We're not talking about caring for people like Andrew Carnegie, where it's like, I give you two pennies for an entire day's work. Yeah. And we've come a long way. We've had to grow and do all that kind of stuff. And that's where actually I was going with this conversation. I just wanted to push a little bit back on that. Is just 15 years ago, how would you have voted? On those topics. So oh, homos- um, homosexuality 15, prop eight. 15, Fifteen years, years ago, ago, I would have been no, no gay, no gay marriage. I would have been emphatic, like completely ban abortion. And and I even, I even always question, like, why is completely there ban abortion? Like, even at six weeks, you would have been like, ban it. I would have been like, ban it completely. And and I even question, and I still even question a little bit. Plan B? No, I question the the exception for rape and incest. It's like they're they're still ba- if you truly believe they're still babies, then you're 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 punishing a baby because sure. of circumstances. And yes, if you're hearing this, like well, you, I get it, I know the mother. Yes, I get all that. But again, if you're an a, if you're a Christian, if you're a, an abortion absolutist, then you're an abortion absolutist. And also something that I, I that I will give you credit for, which if anybody's listening to this and you're sitting there and saying something about Tim on this, is that Tim specifically said he said, you know, it's something that I struggle with, where it's it's again it's about this free system that I live in, and this is where again we start to create distance between understanding what. The law of the United States guarantees versus what God has asked us to do. There's, they're actually not, it's not, it's not a Venn diagram. Like where they completely overlap. It's not these two circles that completely overlap each other or anything like that. That's not what we're dealing with. You're actually seeing these very two actually almost conflicting ideals where if you're sitting there and saying like this is God's country and it's like but if you actually get down to the letter of the law and just because the dollar bill says in God we trust (laughs) or because I say I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands – one nation under God. Which wasn't in the original. And you're like, but because I said that, that means that this nation is God-fearing and God-loving. And, and I mean, gosh damn it, fucking uh, the ex-world sexiest man uh, <laughs> wrote a song about it. Uh, why can't I? Blake Shelton. And so therefore it is. It's like, no. When you really look at it, it's like they're okay, and that's why I think that it's good is because, and, and what I'm talking about is actually I think that us as a nation and as believers, I think we're growing in the very similar way that you have grown. And it, just so we're clear, 15 years ago, I would have voted the exact same way. Yeah, as I know. Voted. Yeah, I, 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 I ask these questions knowing full well that I'm I'm looking in a mirror here. Yeah, like no, I we, know I knew where we were going with this. Can I add one real quick thing to the immigration? 
Sure. Just to show that I'm not that much of an ogre. I'm actually it. It is the state. A lot of Republicans, in particular, um, but I would say the immigration restrictionists, whether they're in the Democratic or Republic Party, Republican Party, they want to say, no, 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 I'm for immigration. I just want it to be regulated. And what they always say, and they always say this, what I want are highly educated immigrants. And you know what? I find that insulting, insulting <laughs> and a bit repugnant that all you want to take is that we've just devolved we immigrant immigration <laughs> policy to the best and the brightest from other from another country because one i think immigration policy should be a bit of taking your tired and your weary and your hungry and all that kind of thing okay and then to that point i i bristle at the frequency with which modern culture is throws around the word colonialism because I think most people who throw that term around don't know what it means. <laughs> but I do find it a bit I do find the notion of we're only going to we're going to pluck the most educated from around the world to bring into here a bit like this modern version of like reverse colonialism. We're not going to go in there and extract your best assets from your country. We're just going to bring them here and leave you with no intellectuals. I mean, how is that good? I, one, it's terrible government policy because uh, we want all of our kids to go to college. So let them go to college and get high-paying jobs. Stop importing people uh, who are going to compete with them. And then from a just base practical sense. And then two, you're just leaving other countries... <laughs> With, with poor economies that might be trouble down the road because, hey, we're going to bring all your intellectuals and they're going to work here and make American dollars. So anyway, that's a side thing. Uh, second point, kind of wrapping up what you're talking about, or you can wrap it up, but I think... Oh, what was I going to say? Now I can't remember what I was going to say. Well, I mean, I this has to do with the social gospel movement where, again, we're growing and we're developing. If you're sitting there and saying that there's a political agenda, I think that every single one of us, and that's why I said, how would you vote on it? I'm not asking for a governor or a, anybody who's a representative or anything to, to be a response. But I'm saying that we are growing and we are developing and we all have opinions on a lot of uh, these topics to where it's only inevitable that when you go and you vote or, or something happens in your in your community, you're going to get riled up about it. There's something that's going on and you're and you're upset about it and and actually what's gonna move you is this idea that and hopefully if if you're in in tune with what's going on with the scripture, there's a part of you where it's like like Tim and I said with the homosexual agenda where it's like, hey, that's not necessarily something that we support and if you put a gun to our head, we'll sit there and say, Yeah, it's probably wrong. But the United States says that this is that it's a free country and my God says that I'm supposed to love all people and give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God's what is God's. And, and these people are a part of the Roman empire and, and I want to go out there and I want to love them and, and give them every opportunity to, you know, be prosperous and be happy because that's what it means. Like giving just because they're homosexual doesn't mean that they can't be happy in life. Right? Like that's not, we're not supposed to go out there and wish the worst for, and I, and I don't even like throwing out the word our enemy because, again, they're not our enemy. Humans are not our enemy. No. 
And so go out there and, and show them love because that's where you can then sit there and say, I'm doing what my country says, which again is completely in line with, again, that free system. And then also at the same time showing them unconditional love. Same thing with the abortion issue. Actually, I, that was kind of a trick question because no matter where you stood on it, it's still this idea. And I appreciate that we're all sitting there and we're saying, okay, like we can compromise. Again, it's this idea of compromising and understanding that people need love, healing, and restoring through this really hard, difficult situation where, again, okay, so if we don't do abortion, do we open up orphanages? How many kids are in foster care in the United States? There's a lot of stuff that comes into play. Yeah, and by the way, the foster system in you know there's a lot of great people in there. It, it's it's oh, yeah. a shit show, but foster care and child services that's as much a nightmare. You know that's that's it's a nightmare. Are 15, 16 year old girls fully equipped to be able to be mothers, full time right. mothers? I was like, some parents disown their children who when they become pregnant, and so therefore that, and then they get into abusive relationships. Their heart. So many. And listen, we're writing narratives, which is, again, that ethological appeal, that very um, – or not ethological, pathological appeal, where, again, we're, we're getting emotional by, by writing these anecdotal, very, you know – we have these stories that – but these are, these are truths. These are realities. And so it's not – like you can't sit there and say that that's not something that you shouldn't consider. And that's why compromise happens and that kind of stuff. And so like I said, it was kind of a trick question. But again, if you're sitting there and you are concerned about other people, which is what Jesus Christ has called us to do over and over again where it is, I want you to care for those people. Then you're sitting there and you are like, okay, even though this is something that I would not have done or this is something that I not necessarily support – I cannot stop loving you. And even then, and when you go to the voter's box and you sit there and you vote, and you may not still support them in the voter's box, you may still vote against gay marriage. You may still vote against uh, uh, abortion. You may still vote against, uh, against illegal immigration, whatever laws that come that way, whatever keeps it from moving that way, whatever. But still at the end of the day, the, the part that is the most important part is that you recognize that that is a part of your existence in this country and you view that that is that but that you continue to show them unconditional love because they are loved by jesus christ just as much as anybody else in the world right and that will help bring about change and so like again you go back to that social gospel movement and i know it seems cheesy and i know it seems stupid with the wwjd where what would <laughs> jesus do but at the same time where it's I don't necessarily think what would Jesus do, but what has Jesus asked us to do? Right. Um, and it's that simple question of just understanding what we are supposed to do in our faith and how does it work in our current world. I don't think it. it's a perfect translation over where it's just an easy answer every single time. I definitely don't think that. But always be constantly pushing for the continuation, for the continual growth of our country. I don't know. I have more thoughts. Here's, here's the rule I think Christians should adopt 
And this was kind of the rule I was struggling with, with when you were asking me these questions. I've come to the decision that... Because if you're listening to this, you're like, all right, well, what does this mean for me day to day? What am I, how am I supposed to judge things? Um, and I, you know, I'd say personally in your life, you, you make decisions when it comes to you and decisions you make that don't involve the government, you go by what Jesus says. But when it comes to legislating what Jesus wants, um, don't do that if it is a largely, if it's an issue that breaks down between those who identify as Christians and those who don't identify as Christians. Because I think that's what's created a lot of tension in the country between believers and non-believers in America. I think it's what's a lot led to people leaving the faith or leaving the church, maybe not leaving the faith is the church has decided to legislate things. As I said earlier, the social justice movement shouldn't be a movement where like we're going, we have it in our brain that we're going to jump on this issue. We want everyone to get a fair wage, and so we're going to work towards legislation on it. No. Work towards changing business owners uh, and whatnot into... Be more generous to your workers. You're going to get more productive workers, that kind of whatever. Jesus calls us to be. Who's got a toy? Tank. Um, and when you have a mix, a healthy mix of believers and non-believers, then it's probably a good time to pass that legislation. That's the difference between, um, well, I mean, <laughs> Murder is not a controversial issue just because society ju judges that it's bad. And what we need to do on things where we're trying to treat something like abortion as this uh, known absolute bad, again, if it's turned into an issue where the lines break between religious people and non-religious, then it's not a good issue to be legislating on. We've got more work to do to teach people that abortion's wrong or that actually marriage between one man and one woman is the ideal relationship people should be engaged in. And if you can't, then you can't. But, you know, if you want to get mad about how the United States is, the church, the church grew and thrived in a society. As much as we want to revere and hold up as this great uh, model that we base Western society on, the, the Greco-Roman world, the Roman Empire was a bastion of absolute oral, absolute moral depravity. Oral, oral depravity. <laughs> it was, a, it was, it was there. Nobody spoke. It was terrible in a lot of ways. There were no women's rights. There were no children's rights. There were a lot of the th most of the things that we value in in today's society did not exist. Christians weren't running around doing picket, you know, running picket fit. Uh, having picket signs and protesting. They weren't showing up at local temples, screaming and yelling at everybody, saying, you're a pagan, you're a pagan, God hates you. No, you they were just trying to stay alive. Yeah, they were just trying they to They were trying alive. not to get burned. But yeah, we flipped it around, and we're, and we're kind of acting the same way. And again, you know, I don't have a problem if you want to go out in front of an abortion clinic and pray. If, if, 
if people walk past you and you're silently praying in front of an abortion clinic and they're screaming and yelling at you and like throwing pain on you or something that says something about them there the, you know there, that's nothing there's nothing toxic there about you praying for someone so it's the standing outside and screaming and all that which isn't even allowed anymore like, like that's been legislated where you can't do that but um anyway so i think that's the kind of the what we're talking about with the social gospel thing is if you want something you can't just speak amongst your you can't have echo chamber conversations within with your fellow christians either at church or within your community groups or online in your facebook groups or twitter and you need to learn the art of persuading people to your position and that involves not calling demonizing people and calling people who you think are doing something Jesus wouldn't like evil and going to hell and but all that if, kind of but stuff. what if they are? <laughs> well, what if you are? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> that's, why I'm, that's why I'm on this podcast. Yeah, we already are going to hell. We're on the highway. Is that it? Did we kill that one? I think so. That's pretty good. Um, well, we thank you for listening to this podcast. Oh, unless, no, you're good. He's got thank you for this, <laughs> listening to this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review so other people can find out how they can go to hell. And if you're the BCS committee, you can go to hell. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs>